This is the Unity Community of Central Oregon podcast. Well, I am excited to hear Kelly Billings talk now. I first met Kelly, I think, very shortly after he started attending here, and he was interested in our social and environmental justice activities. And I immediately could sense his depth and his positivity and just this really wonderful energy, but I didn't know about this bio of his and all the things he's done. So he is a spiritual leader who works in spiritual service um, in a hospice here in Central Oregon. That's been a special gift of his. He's also worked with refugees in Palestine, Jordan, and Lesbos, providing spiritual care, and he has been a lifelong advocate for refugees, people experiencing houselessness, um, mental health issues, on those sorts of things, definitely a career and a life of service. He is a, he, he stresses former United Methodist minister. <laughs> and he's also uh, ordained in a non-denominational faith now. He has a Master's of Applied Theology, holds all kinds of certificates and whatnot, has worked with Richard Rohr and others, just a really depth, like a lifelong student of spiritual growth. Um, and what I loved on, what I loved on his bio, uh, bio also is that he noted that he strives to live in vulnerability and authenticity. And that is a beautiful way to be. Kelly, come on up, take it away. Good morning. Let me raise this up a little bit. Reverend Jane, as I was walking in the building this morning, I was reminded, reminded of um, the last time I spoke at a gathering like this. And my friend came up to me and he asked me a very strange question. And he said, are you going to cuss today? And I was like, I don't know. It depends on what happens. And he's, I didn't say that part. I just said the first part. I don't know. I'm like, to myself, I'm like, depending on what happens. And he says, well, you did the last time you were here. So just to let you guys know that sometimes my G-rated speech can sometimes drop into the PG realm. <laughs> Thank you, Cynthia. Uh, but, you know, sometimes life is just cuss-worthy, isn't it? It's just cuss-worthy. And that's just the kind of way it plays out sometimes. Ah, now, I'm grateful to be here and to be invited here. Um, as Sylvia just mentioned, I do work here. I'm a hospice spiritual counselor. Uh, chaplain is the old term we used to use. And we changed, started changing that because when you go to somebody's house and they're like expecting a chaplain, they don't really know what's going to happen. And we meet people wherever they are, whatever their faith or their spirituality might be. So I might be doing Reiki with somebody and then go to the next patient and doing like very evangelical Christian type prayers. And so spiritual counselor is really a lot more sort of broad-based. And, you know, this is part of my journey. And we're all on a journey. Sometimes we get stuck. And we don't know how to move forward. Or maybe we've just given up. Maybe you're like, you know, I had this dream and I had this thought. And, you know, here's really what I wanted to do with my life. And other stuff happened. And I got bogged down. And here I am. And just to be honest with you, sometimes it's just easier to give up, isn't it? 
It's easier to give up to think about what's, than to think about what's not been done or what we might feel has been unfulfilled. But it's never too late. It's never too late. But often it takes some kind of event to get us moving. Donald Miller, in his book, A Million Miles in a Thousand Years, he writes this book, and, and basically the thesis of the book is, if your life was a movie, would you watch it? And if not, why, why, that, why, why, the, why are you living it? You see, I just about did it. Like two minutes in, I just about cussed. But it's like, if, if you wouldn't watch a movie about your life, why, why, why are you living it? And I think that's, and he talks about sometimes it taking an event that he calls an inciting incident to get us to move. Now, you've probably already picked up, I ain't from Central Oregon. Some of my North Carolina brethren over here have already greeted me. And just, you know, I want to thank you guys for the music today and all the Journey-themed music. Uh, and all the music we've had today. Robin, thank you for yours and just grounding us into that. But I'm not from Oregon. You've heard my accent. You might hear some words today. You might hear some syllables, some extra syllables and some phrases. And I just encourage you just to kind of journey along with me as I drag this out. <sighs> But Miller, he talks about the inciting incident, some event that forces us to move. Things are not the same. We can never go back to who we were. Now, for me, it happened August 4th, 2007. I'd been a Methodist minister. I had, like, four years before, changed careers, put all my eggs in this one professional and spiritual basket. I was working on a Master's Divinity part-time. I was pastoring having this amazing church growth and some, some, some success. And I was really discontent. And I was like, well, what's, what's up with this? And so through some periods of discernment and just, just trying to check in with source, I decided I was supposed to resign. And I was supposed to go over to the Middle East. I was supposed to go work with refugees. So all I really knew was I was going to Bethlehem, that place where we think Yeshua. I tend to say Yeshua more than I do Jesus because if you've come, if you've had a lot of religious wounding, words like Jesus can be triggering and, and, and induce some trauma. So this place where we think Yeshua or Jesus was born, that's all I know. And that was really enough. You know, and honestly, it's good that I didn't know anymore. I get there, and I think I'm going into Israel, and I fly into Israel, and I get in Israel, and then we drive across, and then a couple hours later, there's another border that I have to cross. It's a border outside of Jerusalem that goes into Palestine. And I go in there, and that, the next day, August the 4th, changed everything. I woke up, and I'm in this vacation mode here in Bethlehem where we think Jesus was born, and I'm looking outside, and I go outside with this gentleman there, and in the midst of all this Mideastern architecture, there are these strange concrete block buildings across the street. Just really discombobulated, dirty, just didn't look, you know, it just wasn't consistent with the context. And I was like, what's that? He said, well, that's the UN refugee camp. I was like, refugees from where? He's like, well, Jerusalem. And I was like, well, Jerusalem's only six miles away. One of the refugees. And he starts going through all this stuff that I didn't know. Now, I grew up in the Southeast, politically, theolog theologically conservative, and I'm here 
and everything that I've ever heard about that situation over there, what I was seeing and what I was experiencing was almost the total opposite. And I was ticked off because I had, yeah, you guys knew what almost came out. And so I had put, as I mentioned, I had put everything in this one basket, professionally, theologically, spiritually. And I was like, wait a minute, something's not adding up here. So there was a refugee camp across the street from where I was staying, and a refugee camp down behind. And every night I'd go to the top of the roof, Mid-Eastern architecture, flat roof. I'd go to the top of the roof and I'd pray. And one night I was just like, God, what have I done to contribute to this situation? There's a sense of responsibility based upon my prior theology and understanding of that situation that it probably caused me to contribute to some of the suffering that I was seeing. So you see, who I thought was the aggressors were the victims, and who I thought were the victims were the aggressors. And then a couple of days later, I was back up there, and I was talking to Source, and I was like, God, the same people that told me about this situation, they also told me about you. They're wrong about this, are they wrong about you too? Do you even exist? I was there for six months. I could have left, but it wasn't really a thing to do. And in those six months, I decided I'm not going to be a Methodist minister anymore. I'm not going to pursue this Masters of Divinity. I don't know what I want to do. I'm not sure of my faith and my spirituality. And I came out of there and just really shaken. And I can tell you today, it's by far one of the most traumatic things that's happened to me because of all my worldviews. Because then it was like, well, if you're wrong about this, what's wrong about this? And who told me this? And why did I think this? And, you know, once you start peeling the layers, I see some of you guys nodding. You know you know what it's like. So I come back to the States. Didn't like it in the States. Went to England, trying to figure out what to do. Ended up doing the master's degree over in England, trying to somehow know the connect spirituality and humanitarian aid. You see, I'd never lived in a place of that suffering of that extent. I grew up around Smile South, small little country town, not unlike Prineville, just a lot more trees and water and humidity and mosquitoes. <laughs> and, and this was really a shock for me. So I ended up, after England, I came back to the States and did take a position with a church over there, local humanitarian aid efforts. Was there for like two and a half, almost three years, but my heart was still back in the Middle East. So, 2012, I resigned. Went back, became my own nonprofit, and went back over to the Middle East for the next six years. Now, I share my journey today not to highlight me or what I've done, but to highlight our journey. And I don't know your journey. And if I knew your journey, you probably wouldn't let me sit up here and share it. So I'm talking about mine. But it's not to highlight mine. It's to talk about the experience we all have of journeying. Now, some of us might not have that big, inciting incident that Miller talks about. Something that forces us to move, where life will never be the same, and we have to go forward because going back really means death. To go back to who we were means dying. 
I see some of you nodding with that too. But for some of us, it's a slow building, what I often call divine discontent. It's this burning that starts to happen in us and this discontent and what used to satisfy us no longer satisfies us. And then we often start to engage in escapism or distraction, trying to just ignore what's really going on, as others have called this still small voice. Now we find ourselves in the midst of what's often been called the great resignation, people resigning their jobs. But I really think that's a description of the symptom rather than the cause. I think the cause is great reevaluation. Going through this pandemic, people have like, what's important to me? I, I can work less, I can spend less, so I can work less, and I can do these things that bring value and joy into my life. But often it takes that sense of discontent and at times a lot of courage to like really engage it. Because sometimes we know what's really deep in here. But we don't want to mess with it. Things are just okay. Don't nobody rock the boat. But it doesn't last long. And so you might find yourself today, you're like, yeah, I'm on this journey and I think I might be stuck and I don't know where I'm going and I don't know the destination, but I know this ain't it. I want to call you Kimmy because I've seen you on, on, on YouTube, but that's not your name. So, but but you, talked about, you talked about your journey and you talked about your burnout and that sense and that one death that one crossing over experience that caused you to change. But that's how it often is, is we, is, we, is we know we need to move, but we're not sure where to go. And often fear and intimidation or reluctance from others might not want us to go. Most people around us really don't want us to change. My mother, who I loved dearly, in 2012, when I told her I was resigning and I was going back overseas, I'd become my own nonprofit. And my mother said to me, who has since become my greatest cheerleader, but has said to me, said to me then, she was like, oh, does that mean you'd be going around begging for money? <laughs> that wasn't really the response I was hoping for from my mom. But she has, she has changed, and she's like one of my biggest cheerleaders, and she texted me this morning and just was just really, really heartwarming. But a lot of people around us aren't going to want us to move. They aren't going to want us to change. You know, we're taught from a very early age, we're conditioned, we're conditioned. I know I can't compete with the dogs, so I'm just going to stop. <laughs> I, just, I just know that. And, and, and No, no, and while Zeke's doing that, I'm going to come over and grab my water bottle. I love Zeke but I forgot where I was though when when mom people not mom oh yes people aren't going to want us to move People like us where we are, and we're often conditioned from a very early age to meet other people's needs. 
It's that basic human desire for longing and connection. And even before we can well articulate it or verbalize this as a child, we're taught that. If you do this, you receive this. It may be physical rewards. It might be ice cream. It might be gifts. It might just be hug, love, and affection. But we're taught at a very early age to meet the needs of others. And people who've been around us for a long time and we decide we're not going to do that, they ain't really too happy about it. Richard Rohr, in one of his books, Falling Upward, he writes about this, and he calls it the crab bucket syndrome. People trying to pull us back in. Well, as one of my friends says it, he says, everybody that came with you can't go with you. He's from North Carolina. Everybody that came with you can't go with you. See, people might not want us to go. Now, I'll be honest with you. It was much easier for me to progress and move through this spiritual journey and all the other ways it was happening. It was much easier with this being in the Middle East where nobody was around me. Nobody who really knew me. Nobody who had expectations of me. Nobody to tell me when I wasn't doing what they didn't want me to do. And what really made that so obvious to me is most of my time I was literally on the Israeli-Palestinian border, but I was also on the Jordanian-Syrian border also for a while. And so, you know, some high-stress areas. About a week before I had to return to North Carolina for visa issues, every time I would start getting anxious. And I'm like, why is this? Nobody is shooting at me back there. Nobody, you know, I don't have this... And it's like, oh, they want me to go back and be who I used to be. Or if I go back, they want me to be who I used to be. I know it's tough. If you've got people around you, they're not going to want you to change. And all this makes our journey really heavy and hard because often we're carrying stuff that ain't ours. We're carrying other people's stuff, their expectations, their desires. Oh, if you only do this, then I'll feel better. Greg Lavoy, who spoke here a couple weeks ago, he said, if I can remember it, he said, when people protest your change, and he wrote this in a book called Callings, he said, when people protest your change, they're not protesting that you're changing, but because you're protesting to meet your needs rather than theirs. This journey stuff takes a lot of courage. It takes a lot of permission. And it usually accompanies a lot of tears and fears and self-doubt. It's both the hardest thing I've been through, and it's also the best thing I've been through. Now, sometimes when we get that calling to go, we go back to that discontent. We might feel this nudge from within and without. And you might wonder, how is that happening? Now, the Unity Principle 2, and I don't know if you guys have read the little red and purple book of the five principles of of unity it's really awesome and simple and it's quick unity two i'm sorry principle two states human beings have a spark of divinity within them the christ spirit within them 
we are the very essence of God. Which means that voice without, if you grew up in a religious tradition like I, like I did, that voice without is also the voice within. And that we are created with skills and gifts and passions to do what we came here to this earth to do. I know, as we reflect on our journey, we think about where we've been or what's coming, maybe more of where we've been, for a lot of us, our journey's been really painful. And sometimes it's hard to, like, really get through that. But what I've found, and what others might attest to, is that we'll often get stuck like that, and we'll need a practitioner. We'll need somebody to help us move some stuck energy, some trauma that we're holding in our body. I don't have any kids, and sometimes people will hear that. And people who have kids and love a lot of kids, they'll say, oh, Kelly, does that make you sad? And I'm thinking, have you met my family? <laughs> the last thing, we, we don't need to reproduce. <laughs> See, she, she just knows me. She's like, this is enough. <sighs> I'm sorry. Our painful can be rough. Our journey can be painful and rough. And while I exaggerated a little bit about my family, honestly, it wasn't much. I love them, and it's a lot easier to love them on the West Coast. And Mom, if you're watching, I'm, I'm really sorry. But I'm hoping she's not. I didn't send her the link or anything. But yeah, sometimes we're in this place of stuckness. And we need to enlist others to help us. And it might be spiritual teachers like Reverend Jane or somebody. You know, and our, our goal, our desire is not to fix it for you, not to journey for you, but to empower you and to liberate you and to just give you all that you need on that journey. Because it's your journey. You know, when I was a pastor, everybody wanted me to fix their stuff for them. It's like, oh, pastor, would you pray for this? And I knew when they walked away, it's like, they ain't doing they ain't doing nothing about it. They've turned it over to the professional and they're done. That was their mindset. So a lot of people want the situation to be changed, but they don't want to put in the effort. And unfortunately, it doesn't often work like that. We, we, principle three of unity says we are co-creators with God, with source. That we are part of creating our own reality. And that takes a bit of discernment, reflection, some tears some courage as we think about going on this journey of ours you know we often think it's about oh if I get there then I will do this and I'll do this and I'll do this and really our journey isn't about what we'll do it's about what we'll become as Sylvia said earlier we are human beings not human doers and if we come into our fullness what we do will be aligned because it's not about what we do. It's about who we are. African-American philosopher and mystic Howard Thurman, he put it this way. He said, don't ask what the world needs. He said, ask what makes you happy and then go and do it. Because what we, the world needs is people who have come alive. 
because if you're in alignment, Zeke's purpose is to spread joy this morning. Hi. 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 Sometimes we don't know where to start or where to be. And a real simple thing to do is if you just put your hand over your heart and say, Dear Spirit, tell me what I need to know. If you want to, we can pause for a moment. And I just invite you, if you want to do this, and if not, that's okay, because I came out of a religious tradition that stand that issued commands, oh, stand and sing, every head bow. But if you want to join me, just take a moment. Just either silently or out loud, you might say, Dear Spirit, tell me what I need to know. I know this guy, he was born premature, he had a speech impediment, was one of his birth defects. He had surgery when he was about age six on his mouth and his tongue and went through school just like never wanting to speak, never wanting to get called on. Even after surgery, he still stuttered a lot. He was tall and real gangly and goofy and just really wanted to be invisible, to not be seen, and particularly for what else, not be heard. You see, that guy's me. And if I can stand up here and do this, I fully believe you can do whatever you came to this earth to do. Thank you, and namaste.